out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. I don't know Marva that well at all, but I feel as if I had been getting to know a lot about him over the past few weeks. It was when I watched the first episode of his podcast called Talking Orangutan that I knew I had to have him on Meet Me in the Field. The link to his podcast is on my website. Please go there and click on it. In his podcast, Marva talks about anything and all things entertaining. In the first episode of his podcast, he talks to the actor Marvin Lee Bierkes. We are lucky enough to have had Marvin on Meet Me in the Field about a year ago. You can listen to his episode called The Actor, which was posted on 4 January 2018. There's a link to that chat on my website as well. I can't believe it's nearly a year ago. Marvin and I chatted as if our lives depended on it, and I loved the time we spent together. I hope you enjoy it too. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There's also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on the first layer. For some information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. This is Maribus' story. Sit back and enjoy. Where are we? Morning, still morning. Good morning, Maribus. How are you doing? Good with you, man. Where are we? <laughs> Well, we've been chatting for so long. Then. We've been talking about playing with kids, <laughs> but not in a funny way. <laughs> in, a very good, in a very good, healthy, spiritual exactly. way. So how are you doing? No, I'm cool, man. I'm cool. You're not on holiday yet, but you look as if you're on holiday. It's just the way I look. <laughs> look so, the, so the awesome. The facade is a highly strung out, stressed out guy. That, but uh, I compartmentalize my work and my other stuff fairly well. Are you good at closing the office door, technically speaking, and leaving whatever shit was at the office not and really. not bring it home? I can't. My business doesn't allow for that. Okay. So my business is my phone, like or massive part is my phone. So my business is always a arm's reach away. Okay. What I've done recently is I will switch off my phone and I will go put it into a cupboard somewhere in the so, fridge <laughs> so that I feel like and I switch it off and I feel like an alcoholic when I go scratch out for it it's like I force myself to feel ashamed it's like can I not stay away from work and uh, it's difficult because I'm a one man business technically mm. and it's like um, if you want to go to the next level you've got to be on the ball all the time and again I have weird clients so a lot of my clients or a predominant predominantly it's lower income people okay the way they communicate it's different so a lot of them have uh, this night owl data okay so a lot of messages will come through from like nine o'clock at night until eight the expectation is that you have to get back to them within a few hours so they'll send you a message at nine at night and if you haven't responded by seven the next morning they're like did you get my message? Because my business is about service expectations and high quality service, I feel like a retard if I don't get back to them quickly. Oh. So it's this difficult balance between working and not working. But I've decided to go on holiday for again two weeks this year and then it will literally be like switch off. 
I have to practice discipline with switching off because at the moment I haven't been off for four weeks. And it's not only my business, there's a lot of projects and I actually feel burnout. Okay. But I'm emotionally strong enough to be like, okay, that's one part. Yeah. Like I can still continue with my life in other assets. But your business is in the, what do you call the industry? Hospitality. Um, hospitality. I want to say entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about entertainment. I'm listening to your podcast. Okay. Marva runs its own podcast. It's called? Talking Orangutans. Talking Orangutans. And if you Google Talking Orangutans, you're actually going to get a lot of videos about Talking Orangutans. So <laughs> orangutans talking. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I always find it difficult to find you. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you now send me the link. That, that makes it easier. And then I heard you used to have a, a band. Yeah, oh fuck, when we talk about entertainment, <laughs> <laughs> like, my mind's weird, so I have to keep myself entertained all okay. the time. If you know me, like, each six months, there's a different thing that I entertain myself with. Okay. But when I was young, I was obsessed about becoming a rock star. So How young were you then? Like, 15, 14. Okay, so Teenage, yeah, teenagers, so I okay. was like really obsessed with becoming a rock star. That awesome. was like the thing that I wanted to Who was be. your idol? I didn't have idols, but I had bands that I liked. Okay. So it's not like I was into heavy metal. Oh my so God. hard rock, heavy metal. Uh. So from a young age, it was like Metallica, Korn, Rage Against the Machine, Death Tone, okay. Slipknot, stuff like that. <laughs> like, um, so of I, which I know none. <laughs> Not only are we in different generations, I used to be, in my teenage years, I listened to country yeah. and ballads. As long as it's not Trey Clavier, Burum, I won't judge you. <laughs> that was it. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to be a full-time musician. I wanted to tour the world. I wanted that whole sex, drugs, rock and roll type of lifestyle. And how close did you get to, to fulfilling the ideal? Very far. <laughs> Very far away, but we did really well. <laughs> you got to the sex part with yourself. <laughs> the exactly. drugs brought most probably rock and roll. You tried your best, so you actually yeah. got close. <laughs> so uh, in the fantasy world, I was the biggest rock star in the world. <laughs> in life, according to Marve. Yeah. Like we actually did really well. Like it's like really nothing, but I've had more than a hundred. I probably had close to 200 shows okay. in my life so it's like I wasn't oh, wow. and that was in a three four year period so we did well we we got played on five of them like as a 16 year old kid are you serious yeah like uh, oh what was your band called picture this like no one would know it like it's not like we got played daytime radio I think once maybe but you we know, were the, Barney Simon nighttime oh, music really? like he like after 10 o'clock so that must have been quite a rush I don't know it's weird man it, I mean, it's everybody's dream to be on radio with your music. Oh, it was really cool, but like, uh, how can I say? Like, I've always been a fairly insecure guy. So even when there's certain things that would give you normally affirmation, it's like when someone gives you a compliment and you don't believe it. Yeah. So there were certain things that happened in my life that I just couldn't acknowledge the moment for what it was. It was like, it's cool, yeah. but it's, it's not like I got a big head about it or... Also, I was, I, I'm lucky enough to be blessed in many 
ways when it comes to abilities. I always did well in everything I did. I got A's, I got Craven Week, Rugby. Oh, Gorda. bring me a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of those people. Oh, God. So I always did well with everything. Okay, so I'm like, into, in this podcast now. I don't, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I hate people like you. So for me to be on radio was just like another thing that happened. But it was really cool. Like I remember one night almost falling asleep and then I was like, this, and I always fell asleep with the radio and um, I remember this song playing I was like I know this song I was like hold on that's us playing like, <laughs> I'm fabulous <laughs> and uh, we did shows we got almost signed I think if I remember correctly it's difficult to say because it was between the ages of 15 and 18 okay but we did really well and I know there was a few labels like listening to us and you know we were on the local radio station. Oh, wow. Yeah, There's a few things. Oh, that sounds it was, like, really cool. Like you open for Springbok New Girls and oh, cool. a few like big acts. And But yeah, obviously, uh, it's never in the Afrikaans world. Uh, everyone's like, are you going to become a rock star? Are you going to become a full-time musician? Everyone's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So, you know, is that... That whole arty culture is quite yeah. frowned upon within the African Absolutely traditional yeah. conservative. You must have community. a degree, and you must you must have something to fall back on. Yeah, I wonder how many dreams got shattered by 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 that. You must get something to fall back on. By the time you've got the degree, yeah, you're old and you don't have the dreams anymore. And yeah, so you grew up Afrikaans. Very. Very Afrikaans, with a, with a, name, with a name like Merva. <laughs> David van der Merve, Stienkamp. <laughs> oh my word. Oh, there you go. Well, I, I beat you. Johannes Friedrich Joshua Janssen van Rensburg. Yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> at least I won one of these yeah, things. Okay. You might be big, good at some things, but I won this one. one at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> You grew up in Stellenbosch? Yeah. Bastion van Afrikaner Dom. Yeah. Paul Roosboekje. Paul Roos, 2003. Cool. Four, like, all four sons were in Paul Roos. My father was in Paul Roos. Oh, my He word. was a teacher there for 20 years. Oh, my word. My grandfather was in Paul Roos. Probably my grandfather before that. Phew, so this. So I have a, a long history of okay. growing up in Stellenbosch. My mom, born and raised, she was in Rhenish. Oh, my word. And so you are Ras Ech Stellenbosser. Yeah, but I don't look like, and I don't... Like Monopoly Capital, that is you. You've got the stamp on your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish life would be easy. I don't look like... I the saw the car you drove in here with. <laughs> <laughs> Rocking life. <laughs> Making everyone jealous. Looking at inferior people. <laughs> But um, I grew up with the Stellenbosch stuff, and there's obviously, I think from teenage years, I was in Ekerstadt, and then you go into Paul Roos, and then once you, in Ekerstadt, it's like the local town people, and once you go into Paul Roos, now there's all the rich fucks from around the country yeah. that get sponsored to come play rugby, or because of some sort of achievement, doing well in tennis or whatever yeah. so now you get all these rich fucks and a lot of people come in because their parents are someone yeah so you also get in because your parents were there am i right you you, you kind of get i think that helps yeah. uh so if you're in akestad and rhenish primary you automatically get okay. accepted and then there's a certain amount for the local 
I got sponsored to go to Gray College, which oh, wow. is the biggest rugby school in the yeah. country. And I didn't know about it until after school because my dad was like, no fucking way he went to oh, Gray. Oh my word, so he was afraid you might want to go. No, well, it was just like a point that I would never have done that. Maybe they didn't want to blow up my ego. <laughs> so did you play Craven, Craven Week? In primary, primary school. school. Oh wow, lock. I got chosen as a lock, but Mar I was... Marvi's a quite tall and strong, so... Lock is the obvious. Let's just call it big. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I, I think I'm strong. I'm 1.93. Oh, wow. And I think I'm 120 kilos. I was eighth man. Okay. Uh, eighth man slash flank because I was... You were fast. I was really... I think I got third. So you know 100 rugby, meters yeah. in... <laughs> It might be more fibious, but I know my rugby. <laughs> I, I got another medal without trying it. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> no, but I, it was so surprising. Like, I went uh, running at the Akerstad Athletics. And it was just like, fuck, everyone has to participate. Yeah. And I literally, okay, start, run. And I got third. And the only two people that beat me were the South African champions at the moment. Like, uh, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Like, I've always been the big... Like, I played... Yeah prop until uh, 12 and then oh, at 13 I won the bronze medal and then the coach was like fuck this guy's big and fast oh, so he well, put yeah. me on eighth man okay. and flank and then I got chosen as a lock for the Craven week so yeah I played lock there awesome well, congratulations hated it are you serious <laughs> oh lock's a terrible position I still believe like the f the one two three four five is dumb fucking people <laughs> And if you suffer from any form of claustrophobia, that's not the place no, to be. <laughs> if you go, you would love it. <laughs> no, Putting you your head next to sweaty <laughs> no, asses. Toss a salad while you add it. <laughs> I think there's a certain type of game, which I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> that might enjoy it. If you're the I, filthy type, then yeah. yes, go for it. Yeah, if, if, if you're kind of the big type, which yeah. I'm definitely... No, it's... When you're a Yeah. No, well, it's like... Uh, Number seven and number eight, and especially number eight, I think it's a mental, strategic game. Yeah. Like, I was at school with people that went on to go play for the Springboks. And when so I are you going to get some of them on your podcast? No fucking way. I don't like rugby people. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Because rugby people in South Africa, there's a big political thing. So I played Crane Week rugby under 13. It's like, uh, my wife would fucking destroy me for talking about this. She's like, yeah, you always talk about how big and famous you could have been in sport. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, I've got the same. I'll show you my medals. Okay, we'll take it. <laughs> if you have any. <laughs> no, I'm joking. When I played Craven Week Rugby, we had the first team and the academy team. And okay. the academy team was like 80% quota affirmative yes. action. And a lot of kids I played with in Akerstad, they were fucking amazing. I would say they were supposed to get at minimum academy side. Yeah. And they didn't because of the, the um, like the, the quota system. So from a young age, super talented people. It's like, what the fuck? Like, I deserve to be there. So they get hurt emotionally because yes. they're not chosen. Like, fuck it. They at least had good quota players. But there's a lot of shit quota players. Mm. So, And then you get this watered down product of shit rugby. Because the people aren't on a good enough level. So a lot of people went out of the system that were supposed to stay in the okay. system. And obviously if you stop doing sport at the age of 13, 14, 15, by the time you're 19, 20 and supposed to go into the provincial, international level, you've lost a lot you're of skills. Pick it up then. And then also, on top of that, growth hormone steroids, fuck uh, all of you guys. I'm sure that half the professionals on, out there 
are either on it or were on it. I've seen big body transformations yeah. and it's fucking mm. impossible. If I went on that stuff without any steroids and stuff, I'm on, like early in the year I was on 120 kilograms with something like 17, 16% body fat. And I've never taken any supplement in my life. If I went on that, it would be crazy. But <laughs> yeah, the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> paint, paint me green and call me the yeah. Incredible Hulk. <laughs> and the thing is, because of all of that, and in South African rugby, they choose big, strong, fast people and fucking idiots. People that spend a lot of time in the gym. Yeah. So the capability of playing rugby is terrible. So we think even just a, a, a switch, like yeah. fucking switch or cut inside, straighten mm -hmm. the line, skip pass, pop the ball. And that's what I love about New Zealand rugby. New Zealand rugby has never thinking. been about size, yeah. speed. Fuck, how did we end up on rugby? How the um, fuck do we get onto <laughs> sport, especially rugby? Because I don't watch it. I haven't watched the game I, of rugby probably in I five years. I don't watch sport as well. <laughs> the thing is, if I watch sport, then I want to watch more. The only thing I do watch is IAAF Golden League Athletics. Okay. We don't have a television, so All I right. wait until the next day that the YouTube video is yeah. loaded up. And then I, I watch it. I'm an athletics fanatic. I, okay. I, I used to run and I, I still love that. Also, it, it took me a long time to... To get back into it, to watch it, because I, I was a product of my own failure and I, I was just never the best and always the second best. And it was just kind of fucking, it hurt. <laughs> and I couldn't deal with the pain. <laughs> and eventually through, through coming to recovery and working a 12-step program, I dealt with my pain. And I yeah. can now appreciate other people's talents and, and yeah. enjoy their, their, their success. The success <laughs> that I never had. I fucking hated people for, for yeah. too long. So, grew up Afrikaans. Christian? I grew up Christian. Okay. I'm in, definitely agnostic. In Gierke. Yeah. And did, did Christian it? Um, okay. <laughs> if you hear a funny sound, it's actually Tyson rubbing up against the microphone. Yeah, <laughs> it just shows you how amazing our conversation <laughs> is. <laughs> did religion resonate with you? Was your good Christian sinky? I think I was really raised religious or like really Christian. Like Sunday school. Sunday school. Kinderkrans. Not Kinderkrans. I don't know what that is exactly. No, not really. But it was like, I remember like there was a cartoon, He-Man or Braveheart. And because the bad guy had red eyes, we were not allowed to watch it. Or like on a Sunday, we're not allowed to go to the cinema okay. or play cricket on the, yeah. uh, the field because it's the day of rest. And... Um, like it was always this forever like you right or wrong and I, one of my big things this last few years is to try and experience the gray area in people and in humanity okay. and in the world and i severely suffer with this black white right wrong outlook on life which i don't like because it's a it's a fucked up way of living yes. uh, it brings me a lot of mental anguish but that was probably the biggest thing that influenced me at uh, church is this whole right and wrong outlook and uh, as soon as I think they call it confirmation yeah. as soon as I had that I've never been back at the church 17, ever. 17 years old yeah plus <clears throat> they had this weird thing that they did with us where they put a fucking cross on your forehead in front of the whole church and they've never done that so it was all this like I think they wanted to make it special and I stood there in the front I'm like I'm part of some sort of fucking culture like, <laughs> and then like suddenly cold. you have to like sign something and I'm like what the fuck is going on and I got so freaked out and I was like 
regardless of that, I would never have gone back. I just don't agree. Plus, what I don't like about Christians or the Christians I grew up with, you can't have a... a an open discussion about religion. It was pretty much as soon as you question something, you ask something, you would like to have some clarification. It would be like, stop rebelling, stop oh. fucking asking questions. And I was like, I'm just trying to have a conversation. So I'm the, trying to understand. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, so, and I felt like, so I'm wrong for asking a question. And yeah. I was like, but I'm naturally curious. And I feel like I'm trying to get involved by asking questions. Yeah. And they made me feel like something's wrong with me just by being myself. Well, there was, was something a, wrong with you. Afrikaans children are not raised to ask questions for fuck's <laughs> sakes. No, Where no. did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you were a disgrace to the nation. Afrikaans people do not ask questions. You should know that. And that really <laughs> fucked me up. I think a lot of my emotional and mental problems came from that. I think so you a, felt constantly stifled in your, your, your naturally uh, inquisitive. And, and you weren't allowed to inquire. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure if there's any clinical psychologists out there, they will be able to reference many uh, scientific pieces <laughs> on why that's bad for you. <laughs> um, and even in my adult dude, I'm still busy. Like, uh, um, I'm seeing a counselor, which I started, or like a psychologist that I started seeing a year, year and a half ago, and it was mainly about my brother's death and trauma. Because that's when I got to know you. You came yeah. back to South Africa for to that. basically see your brother yeah. dying. Yeah, well, just basically to spend the last couple of months with him or whatever it was. That and was cancer, am I right? That was cancer. How was that? Like... <laughs> how, how, how shit can it get? It can get fucking terrible. I think it was easier for me than the average person, especially my parents, because I had a terrible relationship with my brother. So, And uh, I am a bit of a, a weirdo. <laughs> so we Which gig- one is the cat here? <laughs> We're giggling because Tyson keeps on rubbing himself up against the mic. But uh, I had a very bad relationship with my brother and um, I was like weirdly happy that he was dying because I was like, fuck, it'd be fantastic if he's out of our lives. Because he was, and that was the weird thing, like to his family, he was a real asshole. But like without even advertising his funeral, like 500 people showed oh, up. Wow. And it was like he was loved by everyone. That was he old or younger? He was two years older than me. Okay. And, um, and we were really tight. Like we were inseparable up until the age of 18. But yeah, and, and especially for my parents, uh, it was, it's, I think no matter what type of relationship you have with your kid, it's terrible seeing them die. For my brothers, especially the younger one, it's been really tough. And um, I think cancer, it's a, like any illness that's long, yeah. uh, it's, it's not nice to see that. My dad had leukemia and it was literally fined out and I think within a month he almost died, which is very fast, which is, a, I think, it sounds for me awful, personally, but it sounds ideal. that's a little yeah. bit easier. I think a shark attack is better. It's a more glamorous way. Do you know the joke of, of um, the, the baby shark and his father is swimming um, in the sea? And the baby shark says, Dad, Dad why do we always circle the, the surface before we bite them? Yeah. And his father said, well, it tastes better with a clean colon. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So... So I got to know you. Where were you coming? Where did you come back from? 
Poland, Warsaw. So you were living in Poland at that stage? Yeah, in Warsaw. Okay. I don't like what saying... What the fuck were you doing in Poland? Polish wife. Okay, okay, Dick. Dick <laughs> let's backtrack. Let's backtrack this. So you finished school. Yes. As an Afrikaans boy who wants to have a rock band and he, he feels stifled in Christian religion. What happens now? So I took a gap year, worked as a waiter because let's find out what I actually want to go study. You're in South Africa, in Cape Town, in Stellenbosch. Yeah, no, I just, uh, in, yeah, in Stellenbosch, worked as a waiter, did a couple, I think I did, I did a short course in marketing management at okay. Bullen College whilst working. I did a few like psychological uh, aptitude tests and interest stuff and blah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think that's such bullshit. And then... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, did I say that? <laughs> That will be after you have to edit that out. <laughs> so you you did a year gap year. Yes, I did that. Then uh, obviously the attitude test says I'm big into art and I'm big into music, and it was like, well, that's not a realistic uh, career goal. And no I, son of mine is going to be an artist no, or musician. Like, no, no, no. My parents are very a teacher or an attorney or doomly. Yeah, no, my parents were a lot cooler than that. Like, okay, I think cool. they would have, but it, it was always that underlying, like, I wish that you would just do something more realistic. Yeah. So my parents are very cool. Like, fuck, they were driving us to band practices okay. and shows. And, like, we would drive in a car and we'll be listening to fucking metal. Like, they were allowing oh, that. Word. And it's, like, fucking pumping in the house. So <laughs> they were, like, I had a very interesting upbringing. So there was these very conservative elements and this extreme liberal, like, non-racist, okay. like... By the way, my mother would say that your mother's place in heaven is booked. Is it? Because if you bring up more than three, three or more sons, yeah. then you have to go straight to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so, <Thank> you. <laughs> so, so you can tell your mother from my mother that her place is booked. She doesn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Her. So um, <laughs> other thing that got into the, the, the psychological like analysis was business and people. So okay. I thought industrial psychology or human resources oh, okay. would be a good thing. And in the early 2000s, they were like, human resources is next level yes. for business. And it's fucking not. <laughs> it's like you're wasting your money on human resources like that was like a fad for the early 2000s so i went to go study industrial psychology for three years got my degree then uh, at Stellenbosch university yeah and okay. then um i moved to england uh, or london i hate saying i lived in england it's like saying i live in south africa but i live in Stellenbosch. <laughs> i don't know durban i don't know Joburg, but sort of out there like whatever for, for me england is london anyways so. yeah Lived in London for about four years. So what made you go to London? That's always the thing. Like that was my era. Like I okay. think I don't know. So you qualified for the new visa? Type yeah, of I was like so I, I went over in October, and I think in December, like the working holiday got ex expired. Oh my word! So, but that was our era. Like I think in the early years, it was like you're going to go do your one year service at yes. army or something. So when that fell away, it was like you're going overseas for yeah. a year or two, and it was always the plan to do that. Again, I wanted to see the bands that I grew up oh, with. Cool. I want to go see Metallica, Rise Against the Machine. Yeah. And I did. Like, oh, I went to awesome. go see I saw Eric Clapton, BB King, like, fucking whatever. Oh, wow. Like, that was my thing. And obviously, pay off your study debt within yes. a year. Because I don't know. <laughs> oh, what a gift. I'm not one of those, uh, uh, how can you say? Privileged. Privileged Stellenbosch kids that mm. gets paid 
with yeah, the, I also <laughs> left left Varsity with huge bank loans yeah. and bursaries that I had to work back for three years. And oh my god, yeah. my dad did pay my first year, and he did pay my interest on my study loans. And let me get right, I am privileged. Oh, I did in use the words white, white monopoly capital before. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat it, but just just thinking. <laughs> So uh, the cool thing, and this is the thing, like my university degree is fucking bullshit. If I could go back in time, I'd probably do a BCom management. I did the BA. I didn't know enough about life. I think the perfect age for me would have been to go study at 25. Because then I was like serious enough. I knew what I liked. The the way that my degree helped me, I got a migrant or a highly skilled visa. And if it wasn't for my degree, I wouldn't have had that. Okay. But what I always say is, I mean, I left matric when I was 17 years old. Okay. What, what did I know in 1984 as a 17-year-old? I see the smile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes, you're 20 years older than me. <laughs> yes. So what did I know what career opportunities the world offered? Mm. I know fuck all. I wasn't, I wasn't equipped to make a decision about my future at 17. No. It was just, I always say life works the wrong way around. And I think it's a, what I loved about going to London was like, fuck, you can be a professional carpenter. Yeah. You can make couches, beds, tables, whatever. Yeah. Like you can be a professional painter. Like here in South Africa, if you, the way I grew up, it would be like colored or black people did certain exactly, jobs, yeah. white people did certain jobs. Yeah. And I'm like, it's like no, we don't work with our hands. It's <laughs> like I live on a farm and I'm like, I see these uh, farm workers like, driving the tractor spraying like uh, stuff onto the the vineyards and i'm like i want to do that or like <laughs> they they trimming the grapes and the vineyards and i'm like i want to do that it's, and i and yeah. like, i like stuff like that yes. and i'm like it's not a viable option for middle class rich people yeah. and a lot of those jobs and that's the cool thing about going to first world countries there is a very decent minimum wage or a minimum salary or minimum income that allows you to have a good life so any job that you take will allow you to actually enjoy yourself plus actually pay your bills yeah. plus with the national health care that's a big part of life uh, if i get sick am i going to be okay and with the national health care you'll always be fine yeah and when i went overseas i'm like there's so many cool jobs like being a train driver being a bus driver like whatever like you don't have to have this white collar type yeah. of job to be and the thing there is the lack of judgment. Like, yeah, yes. there's so much judgment. So if you choose a certain career option, you will get judged. It's like we joked about my car. So I drive a 1984 Toyota Corolla, fucking classic, pristine like condition. That. And I love my car. Like, I obviously have an option. I can sell the car for anything from 30 to 50,000 Rand if I have to ride by it. People see it and they're like, the insurance company values it at three and a half. Oh, my word. Um, and I love my car, but if you get into Stellenbosch, if I stop at a intersection first and just after me is a rich fuck, like you'll drive, like you will get judged automatically yeah. in this area. And that's the cool thing about overseas is uh, you don't get judged. So if you want to take that job, you want to be a garbage man. I always thought as a kid, a garbage man looks like such a cool job. <laughs> you drive on the back of a fucking lorry, jump off. <laughs> throw shit into the back there's all this like positive vibe between yeah. the guys you jump back on it's like drive i'm gonna run and jump. i was like i want to be a, like garbage man i was like and it's like you get judged talk about judgment yes absolutely 
I, I think I'm, I need to be honest. I think I'm judging you as well. <laughs> 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 just, just like <laughs> so and that is the cool thing there's so much job opportunities and it's like we talk about obviously it's spirituality now spirituality is about it's about being comfortable with yourself or for me like being comfortable with myself but not only that fulfillment and fulfillment comes in many different exactly. shapes and forms and feeling good about myself proud about myself I love a job where I actually physically do something at the end I can show that this is what I've created. Now with white collar jobs, it's very difficult. Absolutely. It's like, okay, you're a doctor, your cancer patient, it's like a white collar jobs like, okay, my patient shouldn't die. Yeah. Like to actually physically prove maybe something. And, uh, and again, like I think there's so many different people out there. So someone else might not need a physical thing to make them feel good but for me yeah. that helps me a lot so a lot of my hobbies will be activities where i can actually see the result so i cut trees down after two months there's a whole field open i build mountain bike trails you can see you the trails. trees down yeah do you replant no it's, <gasps> it's a black water they're okay. not supposed to be here awesome Good. I'm glad to hear that. Fucking judgment. Talk about judgment. Motherfucker. I'm a judgmental fuck. What can I say? You see what I mean? <laughs> Let's investigate the person before we judge them. I am doing a... I'm like sainthood for plantation here in the Western Cape. <laughs> and I'm judging. And um, so like my... And it's like, fuck, if I could do it... I love helping my dad out building at the house. Okay. If it's beautiful or not, like you did something and you can show it. Yeah. And uh, I really like that. And it's the, my job at the moment is training people. Now, when they come back to me, it's a lot of psychological stuff, taking people from disadvantaged backgrounds, trying to teach them the psychology of sustainable employment, income, and looking after your family. That's a really tough psychological yeah. uh, goal or it's project. It's an amazing thing you do. But only after a year when they come back to me and they say they've brought their child back from Zimbabwe to come live with them oh. or from Malawi or, you know, like blah, 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 blah. I'm making Wait, like child school fees, all of that. And it's like fucking awesome. Yeah. But it takes a long time and it is difficult because some people don't express the gratitude. And I fucking know my students like I'm really tough. I don't always get the feedback. But I know it's there, the gratitude. And after a time, they come back and they express their gratitude and they tell me how successful they are. And then I'm like, fuck, I've got new energy. Awesome. But I do find that a little bit more difficult. And I really like being hands-on with okay. stuff, like physical labor. Like, fuck, I can stand the whole day in the field and just be happy. I'm left-handed. Okay. So when I grew up, my father is a tyler. So he did most of the building and stuff in our own home. Mm. So he always asked me to help. But whenever I did, I used my left hand and it freaked him out. He always thought I was going to hurt myself. So he would remove whatever tool I'm busy with. So I never learned to work with my hand. Okay. Yo, what a weird thing. He that would, is quite strange. He always thought I was going to hurt myself because it looked so uncomfortable. Okay. Yo. <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. And you didn't try to do it with your right hand. Just like fuck you, though. I think that was that was the thing that freaked him out. Was I would start left, switch to right, and ah. go back left again. By that time, he's going, oh, oh fuck, yeah, this child's yeah, going to yeah. hurt himself, and then well, he's going to break my tiles. Yeah, or, or break whatever. So I never learned to work with my hands. It's mm. only the past few years 
that I actually enjoy doing things with my hands. Mm. Like the garden, there was nothing when we arrived here. So okay. Everything here I've done. And there's a sense of independence for me of my car, like it's like most basic element. You have a flat tire. Just the independence of having yeah. being able to change that. Absolutely. Now, if there's something going on with your car, if you can actually physically mm. do it, your cupboard breaks. Like, yes. can you just fix the bracket? Like, yeah. you know, it's like I love my dad in the sense like a tile breaks. He's not a tiler, but he can replace it. Yeah. It's like there's something independent and that makes me feel more like a, a man or yeah. just like a good... I just feel good about myself no, in the yeah. sense like I can yeah. fix the stuff by it's myself. It's an accomplishment. You, you see it's broken and you fix it and you feel good about yourself. Yeah, where I grew up in this white monopoly where you hire people to come <laughs> exactly. in. And I'm like, oh, fucking bullshit. Exactly. That's yeah. why like, my big pet peeve is rich white people. I can't talk enough bad about them. Because I don't have a problem with rich white people. I have a problem with snobbish people. Yeah. And, and there is nothing worse, sorry, like, like a snobbish Afrikaans woman. <laughs> I always talk about judgment. Yeah. I always say to Jakob, but you know, you know, a professor, and I'm still waiting for an invitation to the professor's tea, to the professor's wife's tea at Stellenbosch. There must be a club. <laughs> I'm so fucking snobbish. There must, there must yeah. be a club for them. And I want an invitation. Yeah. <laughs> I obviously have this umbrella, rich white people. Don't get me wrong. My form of expression is sometimes, <laughs> I sound a bit rough, but behind it, there's a deep psychological thought pattern that's actually quite healthy but the way I express it obviously it's fucked up rich white people like let's say the bricklayer and the rich fuck had to go into a physical fight the bricklayer will fuck you up so why do you feel more powerful exactly, than him yeah. because you can manipulate him from an office like fair enough but there's this weird sense of you think you're awesome with your car your holidays your this and that and I'm like I don't necessarily uh, associate that with happiness, like having to hire people, this and that, like now I'm busy, so it's cool to hire people to come in and do certain things, but I don't know, it's this weird balance of the way you look at life, mm. and I really try and focus on that, and that's why I'm not rich, is because I have ethical values, moral values, principles, and... I can me too. I can become <laughs> super rich. I've had so many options to become super rich, but because of my morals, I'm not. And because yeah. also not only that, I help a lot of people for free because I feel like mm. Jesus, just charging people every time you want to help them is not right. But I have business sponsors or business advisors that also teaches me. If you want to help people for the long run, you need to pay your bills. To pay your bills, you have to charge people for your time. Mm. So it's this fine line that for the long run to help people, I yeah. do need money. So, Madhavik, tell me, where did you meet your wife? Because she's Polish. Yeah. Did we you met, meet her in London? Yeah, we met in London. Okay. How did that happen? How does a white <laughs> Afrikaans male meet an, a Polish girl? Yeah. I was working in a restaurant and... Um, if you have a responsible manager, they go get a change for you in the morning at the bank so that when the people come in and buy booze, you can give them change. Yep. And Anya worked literally four restaurants down the road or four bars down the road. So she was walking around at six at night looking for change. So we used to oh, like okay. pop into each other. And uh, I was the manager <laughs> and this like pretty lady walked in like with this whole like sassiness. She was a little bit... Like, I didn't like it because she just literally walked past me straight to the bar. And everyone used to do that at this bar or uh, place that I was. And then they'll get to the bar and I'll be like, 
the manager standing there at the front door. I was like, because I was quite a young manager. So they sent back and then she asked for change. And there was this vibe about her, like full of energy and obviously very pretty. And then I gave her change and she said like she's down the road somewhere. So I was like, mental note, I have to go check her up maybe one time. And like a few weeks passed, I never saw, I didn't go check her up, I'm too busy. And then I bumped into her again. Again, she said she works down there, but I was just too busy to go, you know, to go check her out. And then the one that I did shopping, I walked past this place. I'm like, I think she said something about a red building. And I was feeling really good that day. I looked inside and she was behind the bar. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to go pop in for a coffee. Went for a coffee, asked her out, and then we started dating. Oh, cool. And uh, we actually almost broke up six or seven or eight months later because I lived in England, found out my brother had cancer. So I resigned and I said to her, okay, cool, I'm really sorry, but I have to move to Africa to go to my brother. And then we obviously have to break up. And she was like, fuck that, I'm coming with you. I was like, what? So she came with me and been seven, seven, eight years that we've been together. And okay. through that, lived, met in England, moved to South Africa, moved to Warsaw and then moved back to South Africa. Why did the Warsaw move happen? What did you go and do there? I was an English teacher for adults. Okay. Conversational English. Cool. So, South Africa didn't work for Anya, because a lot of Europeans have this, like, I'm going to go to turquoise water with a white beach and palm trees. A lot of, I think, people see Africa like that. And then they get here, and it's like, it's poor, it's dangerous, there's a lot of things that you can't do, like... In Warsaw, when she went to go party with her friends, I would literally fall asleep and then at three o'clock in the morning, she would walk back in the door and she walked and two kilometers from city center in the yeah. capital and back home. As safe as you can get, yeah. There's no burglar bars, yeah. there's no security, there's nothing. So moving to South Africa is a massive shock for a lot of people, especially if they don't know what they're coming to. I lived in Warsaw and it was weird not to see black people. You literally don't see black people. Yeah. It's just strange. There's one language that everyone speaks. Yes. It was like, wow, fucking <laughs> weird is this? And I had a friend from Kenya, and we went to a, a, a shop one day in like the side streets, and this little three-year-old kid stopped and literally pointed at him and said, <laughs> charne, which means black or black person. It yeah. was the first time he saw a black person. Oh, in his life. And we stood there like, how fucking random is that? The mom was super embarrassed. But, <laughs> and I said to him, dude, like his name's William from Nairobi. And I was like, dude, there's no black people. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's so weird, but you get used to it. So obviously for Anya coming here, I think it must be weird seeing all these nationalities. Yeah. Uh, there's such a mix and everyone speaks different languages. So it's quite a shock to the system. There's all yes. these different religions. Again, that's a weird thing about living in a country like Poland. There's one religion for everyone. There's one language for everyone. There's one nationality. Like nationalism, patriotism, it's a lot easier yeah. because this is it. Yeah. And then you come to a country where everyone's like different and depending on which... And Why don't you explain it like that? It's actually really, really quite freaky. It's very strange and uh, obviously Stellenbosch is weird and what she got a lot of times is Afrikaans people refusing to speak English to her. Oh my word. They'll be like, she was working here and then people will be like, you know, like these old fucking bastards that can't deal with the new South Africa. It's like, I'm speaking to you in Afrikaans, you have to speak to me in Afrikaans back. It's like, I can speak Russian, fucking this and that. I can't speak Afrikaans. Yeah. And then she'll have to go get a co-worker that can speak Afrikaans. Oh my word. So there were some things like that happening. 
we moved to Warsaw because uh, I didn't have option to go back to England because they had to cancel my visa because I left. Yeah. So we moved to Warsaw. We got married to a bureaucratic wedding so we can get the documents because okay. it was like if we don't get the documents, we can't be in a relationship. Yeah. So we got the documents, which was a massive process, but and lived in Warsaw and I was like, obviously I wanna, if we serious, I wanna meet your family, I wanna course, see yeah. your background. I think that's really important if you're gonna be in a multinational relationship, yeah. is meeting the family on both sides, mm. learning about the culture. I went to a few Catholic church sessions where you actually have to do the Hail Mary and go on your knees and it's like this fucking weird. And the way they depict Jesus, it's like this guy suffering on the cross. Yeah with fucking blood streaming down. So I was like, really? I started understanding the way she was raised. I spent time with her family. I learned Polish. Okay. Like you have to, like a lot of people don't speak English there because they were communist, like back no. USSR type of Soviet Union. So the older people speak Russian, there's no English. They're also very important. I would definitely, we have long-term plans to move there. Okay. I'm not going to live in South Africa the rest of my life. This place is degrading and um, I don't want to raise kids here. Okay. And How I have options. I think five years. Okay. And where were you spiritually at, at, at that stage of your life? Because now you've come back from England, kind of, what I picture you in London is kind of the guy who's still kind of in the background has this kind of rock and roll dream, mm. seeing all the, his favorite bands and those type of things, but yet a responsible adult working hard, all those type of things, making, making the pounds. Mm. And then you get the message that your brother is dying and you, you come back to South Africa, mm. which is a very difficult thing to deal with. Where did you pull your power from to deal with something like that? So in other words, where were you spiritually at that stage in your life? Yeah, so I attend 12-step fellowships or okay. programs and a lot of that came from that. Okay. So is attending my 12-step fellowships. There were people in my life, friends from the fellowship that I spent a lot of time with. There's a lot of spiritual practices that I take on, like reading, writing, talking to people about my feelings and my emotions. I did a little bit of research on how to deal with certain of these things. The internet is quite great. Like you type in how to deal with a family member's death or how yeah. to deal with this. And there is people that's experienced it before. So the first time I came back, my brother had cancer and we had no idea what's going to happen. So that was just cancer. We're going to deal with it. And it's like only four years later or two years later, it was like, okay, he's going to die now. So mm. come back again for yeah. the last couple of months. So it wasn't that serious at that time. Um, it was like, he's got cancer. He was super stoked because now he can smoke weed uh, <laughs> <laughs> before it was legal. Like... We sat in this one session with the doctors here down the road at Vergelegen and it was like, they were talking for like 45 minutes. We were all traumatized as the family, blah, blah, blah. And they're saying all these things. And right at the end, it was like, any questions? Can I smoke weed? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, like, come on. Like, they give you statistics on, 
how much opportunity you have to die, to yeah. live. Like, they give you percentages, which is weird. Like, okay, chemo takes this much percentage away from living. And I'm like, he's only concerned about weed. But anyway, I had friends. So you had a good support system in the fellowships? I had a a good support system. I was very determined at that point. I think I also made a decision of I'm going to deal with it. I think some people, they just go with the flow maybe. But I made a conscious decision. I'm going to deal with this. Like I'm going to deal with it as we go through this whole process and journey. And uh, part of that was... My brother was an arsehole and I left the country again. I came back for him. He was a complete dickhead. And I was like, well, I'm leaving again. So that was also like for me emotionally or spiritually, I had to remove myself from the situation. And the day before I flew out, my dad said, you know, your brother is going to die. The cancer went into his lymph and it's a matter of time. And I haven't told anyone, but I'm telling you. So... I left the country knowing that inevitably at some point he will die. And my decision was, well, fuck that, I'm leaving, you know. I have to remove myself, I have to live my life. So spiritually, continuing to live my life, not putting the whole life on hold. And I gave my brother the opportunity to go down this journey together, and he didn't. Because we'll make meetings and it'll be like, well, I have to go pick up my weed somewhere. I'll be like... Or he wouldn't pitch for family sessions. Or if he did pitch, he wasn't... He was like, why am I here type of thing. Mm. So I was like, well, fuck that. Like, you know, I changed my whole life to be with you. So at some point, I had to move on. Plus take into consideration my relationship with Anya. But that was very difficult. It's it's been a difficult time. I can imagine. It's It's this combined thing of trying to become an adult. Like this age of 25 until 33 has been quite interesting. I'm trying to be an adult. I'm trying to find myself in the world. And it's difficult because I live Adulting is not easy. Yeah, and as it's a rule. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, where, where's, what's my identity? Because I'm in a relationship with a lady from another country. I've been living in all these different countries. I don't associate with these racist fucks in this country. Being black people that are calling white people racist. White people calling black people racist. And it's this political turmoil. <laughs> no, and I'm like, and I don't, don't dis- and I don't associate with any of this. So I come back to a country that I don't feel a part of, yeah. and it's like I don't feel a part of England, not necessarily Poland, and then all throw in all this like life on life's terms, and I was, mm. a, but now at 33, I'm like, I know who I am, I know what I like, cool. and it's it's been a journey. It's been super difficult. I've had terrible times, but. I feel amazing at 33. I'm like, I know who I am. I know what I like. And I just don't care that much anymore what other people think. Fantastic. Mm. So what do you believe in? If you say the children are the future, I'm going to throw (laughs) out. In which way? If you have to define your spirituality. I don't know. There's there's something in nature for me Mm. that that, that I tap into. That. that But are you trying to say now from a religious higher power type of thing or just spirituality in general? What do you tap into? We, we, what's your higher power type of... Yeah. Do you have something like that? Not really. I used to be a little bit more like go meditate, try to pray. I've never liked praying. I've never liked any of that. Um, it does help me because it makes me feel like I don't have to be the engine of my life. And I think that's one of my biggest challenges. Like whenever, like it's one of my biggest strengths and weaknesses. Like something happens in my life and I feel like, okay, let's do something about it to change it. And there are certain things that I can't change. And it's a problem when I'm like, let's try to change it. So prayer helps me to realize that 
I'm not necessarily in control or in charge of the situation. There's maybe not something I can do, but I don't pray in general. So my my thing is my activities that takes me out of my head. And that just gives me a release from my life. And so what are those activities? So at the moment, it's cutting trees down, cool. spending time with the dogs. I have this one cool dog that will literally play for six hours. Oh, really? um, so How many dogs do you have? Two. Oh, fabulous. So it's thinking, you know, I want a dog, but you're not allowed to have more than two animals in this complex, and we've yeah. got two cats. Yeah. yeah so, um, and the dogs love me. They literally want to spend time with me. So, and sometimes, like, I'll literally sit and they'll just lick me, and it's like I have to get over this thing of like I don't want to be dirty now. Like I'll be like they want to give me love, <laughs> and they literally lick me all over. And I'm like fuck it, whatever, and stuff like that. Like allow me to tap into other living creatures i sometimes just like when my, i cut trees down it literally be two three hours sometimes and then i'll sit and i'll look at the eagles and the stuff we live in the like in the mountain oh wow and uh you know there's creatures and stuff and so that helps me a lot before that swimming was my thing so i would swim I started swimming and it's like difficult to do 400 meters and at the end it was like two kilometers Good grief. and um it would literally just take me out of my head you know before that it was like cycling down your mountain biking adventure like extreme sports or a few months ago i tried to build a walking trail to the top of the mountain so like i do like activities like that that literally so, takes me out of okay. my head and that gives me like release from everything and then it's like okay let's go back to reality and let's go face that um but yeah, I don't know, like it's difficult, like there's obviously, fuck, this whole world can't be here without something, <laughs> like it's a weird concept, like someone's like, I was in a meeting once and I was like, there should be something out there, and they were like, but haven't you heard of the Big Bang? I'm like, but who fucking made the Big Bang? Let's say before the Big Bang there was nothing. Who fucking yeah. let the Big Bang happen? Obviously something, it's a weird thing, but it's like one of those things of trying to understand women you'll never will so why the <laughs> fuck are you trying to understand I the universe so you just don't allow it to take too much headspace up I but generally you try to be a good person it sounds yeah like a, I, mean, I met you and i liked you so you're you. not an arsehole <laughs> <laughs> because you meet me in nice circumstances no thank you i don't know like i like i don't care which religion i have friends from all religions be muslim or whatever um, I have people from different backgrounds um, and they all preach the same thing. Be a good person, yeah. try to be the best, love the people around you, you know, stay away from envy, stay away from uh, promiscuity if you are in a serious relationship, uh, lust, uh, whatever. Like, just don't be an asshole, just be, be basically nice. Basically, try to do the next yeah. right thing and just, you know, be a good person. Live the life to the to the best of your ability. Try to make right decisions and that's what I do. I have my forms of spirituality that allows me to do that or pursue that or think about that. But it's... I just try to be a good person and I wish sometimes I wasn't. I wish sometimes I didn't have a conscience. Life would be a lot simpler. Um, life would be like being able to pay bills, you know, blah, 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 would be a lot sometimes easier. It's just easy to fuck people over. 
But yeah. it's just not. But again, I feel bad. Like even if I put my boundaries out with some people, like they don't treat me well, I put my boundaries out, and I'm very introspective afterwards. Of did I put my boundaries out in a respectful way? Okay. Did I do it in the right way? I always did I detach with love? Yeah, <laughs> all of that type of stuff. And I wish I didn't have that. You yeah. know, where I could just go through life. But I am pursuing becoming stronger in that department and I think with uh, effort I am getting better at that but yeah I mean just try to be a good person and again like I say uh, life is more difficult because of that uh, I don't feel like a martyr but again like there is a lot of things that yeah but it makes me feel good at the end of the day and my wife loves me because of that I think my close friends love me because of that yes. my students respect me because of that and in the end I rather do that than the alternative awesome Cool. I think that is it for today. We've chatted for a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this was awesome. Thank you very, very much. All really right, appreciate sick, it. Man. Glad. Have an Thank awesome you. rest of the day. Thank you. This was so much fun. We somehow had a long conversation about South African rugby. But due to my codependence, I'm worried that Marva's wife, Anya, might kill him for it. So I edited most of that out. It seems as if Meet Me in the Field is in some form of international roadshow at the moment. Last week we were in Germany, Switzerland, USA, UK and South Africa. And this week we are doing South Africa, UK and Poland. We have become truly international and I'm loving it. I hope you are too. When I met Marva, I got a sense of someone with deep spirituality. And I find it interesting that he has no specific definition for his sense of spirit. I actually really like that. It proves that we can live beautifully connected lives without putting any boundaries on ourselves. Do yourself a favor and visit the website of Madras Training Company, Secrets of Service, by going to www.secretsofservice.co.za. He does amazing work for the service industry and to uplift communities. You can also find his podcast, Talking Orangutan, on Facebook. Just look for Talking Orangutan's podcast, like the page, and listen to these entertaining talks. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field, or Freddy Counselor, or Freddy van Rensburg, or on Twitter at, at @RensburgFreddy, or on Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelled with an IE at the end. I want to thank Marva for his time and the great energy he brought to meet me in the field. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.